In the beginning, there was darkness. A void waiting to be filled with the echoes of destiny. From the depths of time, legends emerged. Heroes forged in the fires of adversity, their stories etched in the fabric of eternity. Through the sands of ancient deserts, across the vast expanse of galaxies, and amidst the tumultuous waves of the ocean, their journeys began. But amidst the chaos, there arose a whisper, a call to action, a beacon of hope. Now, as the world holds its breath, a new tale unfolds, a story of courage, of triumph against all odds. Join us as we delve into the depths of imagination, as we embark on a journey beyond the realms of possibility. For in every tale lies a lesson, in every legend a truth waiting to be discovered. This is not just a podcast. This is an odyssey, a quest for knowledge, a quest for inspiration, a quest for the very essence of what it means to be human. Welcome, dear listeners, to a world of infinite possibilities. Welcome, dear listeners, to the True Life Podcast. Well, good morning. How are you, my friends? Feeling pretty good today? It's Tuesday. You gonna, uh, is it Taco Tuesday for some of you? Is it a uh, two drink Tuesday? Is it a, uh, I'm too tired to go to work Tuesday? That's always a good one, right? Well, whatever, however you want to describe it, it's definitely Tuesday. And, uh, I hope. I hope the sun is shining where you are. I hope the birds are singing. And uh, I hope you know that I am thinking about you, man. Or ladies, thinking about you. I hope you have a great day today. <sighs> so I was thinking about what kind of interesting topic can we get into today? And it led me to think about kind of my predicament a little bit. And I, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my understanding of culture. I'm going to tell you about a class I took about culture. And I'm going to tell you some hopefully interesting and humorous stories about how I, the ugly American, the white truck driver, has made a lot of mistakes about culture. And then I'm going to try to apply that to today's environment. So, it's going to be a little embarrassing for me probably, but those are usually the best stories. So, I grew up in California, uh, Southern California, and it was predominantly mostly a kind of a kind of a white culture with like kind of Hispanic, kind of white Hispanic cultures where I I kind of grew up in between. Which Is, is pretty limited, right? It's pretty limited. I learned to speak Spanish. I lived in Mexico for a while as I got older. However, even that, just knowing those two cultures is not, it's like a drop in the bucket. Okay, so fast forward until the age of 29, I move out to Hawaii. And I don't know if any, 
I know a lot of you have been to Hawaii. There's probably some of you that have not been to Hawaii. Some of my friends I've been talking to from uh, the Eastern Blocks. What's up, Bulgaria? What's up, Uzbekistan? What's up with my friends over there, man? I'm super stoked to have you guys over there. What's up, Ukraine? I got a big team in the Ukraine now. I love you guys, man. Thanks for listening. And so, in, so I moved to Hawaii. And in Hawaii, Hawaii is a real melting pot in that there is a, a really large Asian influence. And by that, I mean you have people from the Philippines. You have Japanese people. You have Chinese people. You have Micronesian people. You got white people. You got black people. You got some Mexican people. Um, but a really big influx from, from East Asia. And now here's where, so, so I come out to Hawaii and I've, you know, I've, I had never been here before. And gosh, this is going to sound, this is probably going to sound pretty ignorant. However, you have to be ignorant before you learn. And so while it's going to be funny, it's kind of hard for me to tell it because I, it's the truth though. When I came here, it was difficult for me to tell, tell the difference between someone from the Philippines and someone from Japan. Now I know to my, to my Japanese friends and my Filipino friends, like they're just looking at me like, oh my God. You are such a white guy. You can't tell the difference between a Chinese person and, an, and a Japanese person. You know, I, I, was, I was out at work one day and my boss asked me, he says, George, this package went to the wrong place. You said you gave it to a man. What did the man look like? And so I'm trying to explain to my boss, who's a Filipino guy, awesome guy. I go, oh, he's, uh, he looked Asian. And he's like, well, was he, what, what, was he Japanese? Was he Chinese? What did he look like? And I'm like, I, I don't know. I can't tell the difference. And for, for my Asian friends, I know you're laughing, but for all, the, for all the whiteies out there, I bet you a big percentage of you would have that exact same, that exact same situation happen. But hold on, my Asian friends. Because the shoe fits on the other foot. So at my work, a few months later, I'm walking around and there's another white guy in there. I don't even know this other white guy. And he's way bigger than me. He's like 6'2", doesn't even look like me. And this young Filipino kid comes in and I'm talking to this other white guy. I'm like introducing myself to him. And this Filipino kid comes over and he goes, hey, are you guys related? And it kind of hits me like, oh, it's not just me being a dumb white guy. It's people who are not exposed to other cultures don't thoroughly understand the uniqueness of the individual cultures. Does that make sense? Like the Filipino, the young Filipino guy that, that saw the two white guys standing together, he asks, are you guys related? I have like a, I speak like I'm from California and this guy spoke like he was from Texas. Now see, that's a very subtle difference if you're not familiar with those two areas. However, if you are familiar with those areas, you could tell, you know, in a heartbeat, hey, this is a guy from the South. This guy's not from the South. More importantly, as the ugly American 
And not, not all Americans are ugly. There's a lot of ignorance. However, I wanted to just kind of break this down so that we could understand what's going on. You know, when I, when I moved here, it's important to not confuse those because there is a lot of history between Japan and China, and it's not good. You know, it's pretty insulting to call someone who is from China Japanese and vice versa. Just due to the long history of war and tragedies that happened there. But most Americans, they don't understand that. Not because, not because they're dumb or not because they're ignorant, but because they, they just haven't been taught that in the schools. Another dip, main difference too is that as Americans, as a guy from California, as maybe the Western tradition teaches us, we have a really argumentative style. And what I mean by that is if I'm talking to someone and they say something that maybe I don't agree with, I'm not afraid to challenge that point of view. You see, that's a, that's a uniquely Western type of argumentation. We believe that by putting forth the best arguments that we will get to the truth and the best arguments will win. In a lot of the Eastern cultures, they have a different outlook and they believe that there's no need to embarrass someone to their face like that. You should allow them to save face. You should allow them to not be in an uncomfortable position by challenging what they have to say. On top of that, there is almost a different definition of obedience. I sat in a, in a meeting a while back at a, at a it was a parent-teacher workshop and there was a lot of different children's parents there and then there was a, uh, a couple of college counselors and uh, some teachers and they were going over different psychological strategies for teaching children and philosophical strategies and towards the end of the class Towards the end of the workshop, the the uh, the educators, you know, they came and they asked for questions. And one of my friends, who's Japanese, stood up and she says, "You know, I really am getting worried because my son is he's a bit combative, and what I want for my children is to be obedient." And for me, like I almost cringe because I, I think to myself, the last thing that we need is obedient workers. Like I don't want my kid going to a school where they're going to learn to be obedient workers. And I had to think about it for a little bit because it, it made me think... It really just started making me think about different cultures and different value systems and different ideas and different social norms and different ways of thinking about it. 
you know, on some level, when there, when you have a culture where there is obedience and the people at the top command respect from people below them, as long as the people on the top have the best interest of the people on the bottom, it kind of works. However, what tends to happen in the Western society is that the level of corruption up top, it just undermines the very definition of obedience. Another interesting cultural point that I have found moving to Hawaii is that in our argumentative style, that in the way we talk in the West, especially especially men in the West, where we tend to make a lot of eye contact and we tend to speak loud and clear if we want to be heard. One thing that we never think about in the West is that some of our friends in the East, they have tonal languages. You know what I mean by that? So they change the pitch or the tone of the word and the word becomes a completely different word. So it could be like sabaydi, and depending on where you put the where you put the accent, where you decide to change the pitch, you can change the meaning of that word. So think about that type of language. You become conditioned not only to the speech, but the very sound of the speech. And if you've lived in a system where you're conditioned to the sound of the speech, even if you learn a new language that is not a tonal language, you will still be accustomed to feeling emotion with people's tones in their speech. So for example, if I'm speaking to one of my friends that maybe speaks a tonal language, and I get kind of and I get close to them and I I speak loud and clear and say, listen, here's what's going on. I'm going to tell you right now why I think this is happening. Just that very tone can change the way they think because now all of a sudden, when they hear that tone, that particular tone is reserved for scolding or that particular tone is reserved for conflict. Even though my words are not meant to inflict conflict upon them, the tone automatically shifts that person's view into, you know, almost a fight or flight syndrome. And that radically changes the way the person is going to interact with you. I've seen it a lot here in Hawaii. We had a, we had a guy come that was a, he was a high level executive and he was one of these, uh, he was one of these guys that, that relied on his size and intimidation and you, every, you all know the guy I'm talking about. Like, you've all seen him, right? Real quick side story. You know the problem with really big guys? The problem with really big guys is that they've always been able to go and rely on their size throughout their whole life. They start out big. You know, they, can, they get in fights and they can smash people. And they never had to really develop their ability to speak well. They never really had to develop their ability to be persuasive. They never really had to build up their ability to think of alternative ways to win battles. They've always been able to fall back on intimidation. And it works for a long time 
until they meet, I don't know, for example, say a a short 45-year-old guy with gray hair, devastatingly handsome. Let's just say it's me. Anyways, that's the problem. When, When you've learned a strategy in life that works well, you fall back on it. So anyways, this guy comes out here and he gives a speech that is... It's, it's, it's loud, it's abrasive, and it is culturally disrespectful. And he's standing up there and he, he thinks he's crushing it. But as I look around, I just see all of, all of my friends like, like looking at him in this weird way like, oh my gosh, what an arrogant knucklehead. And it hits me like this guy has no idea what he's doing. You know, he's, he's giving a speech that is meant for a group of working people in a Western environment. And he's trying to give that exact same speech to a group of people in a different culture. And it doesn't work. It has the exact opposite effect. In fact, after the meeting, I got a lot of my friends that come up to me and they were like, George, what is this guy talking about? Like, why would he say that stuff? And I got to explain to him, listen, this guy, he doesn't, he's never, he's never been around this culture. He doesn't understand what he's saying. He doesn't understand what he's doing. He doesn't understand that when he speaks in that tone to you, he's, he's being very condescending. He doesn't understand that cultural difference. It created a lot of havoc actually in it. The guy did damage to the environment that is still ongoing. Needless to say, he's, he's no longer working here. You know, so, so thinking about that a little bit, I want to share a story with you about, I was at a party a while back and it was a, it was a very upscale party and uh, it kind of starts off like a joke, but it's not a joke. There's a, a white guy, an Asian guy, and a black guy. And they're all playing pool. It's, you see what I'm saying? It sounds like a really good joke, right? It sounds like a really good joke. Anyways, these guys are playing pool. Everybody there is friendly. Everybody's having a good time. The host of the party, he comes into the room to the guys playing pool. And he has a picture of Bloody Marys. And he says, gentlemen, can I get you guys a drink? Would anybody like a Bloody Mary? And he's got, in in one hand, he's got a couple glasses. And in the other hand, he's got the pitcher. And so two of the guys say, absolutely. And the host pours the Bloody Marys into the glass. And then the third guy says, no, no, I I don't want a Bloody Mary. However, I'll take some champagne. Can you grab me some? And the host says, no, I'm not going to grab you some champagne. Go grab your own champagne. Do you think that's racist? Do you think that that is a, do you think that that is someone being racist? Because it kind of, the, the following conversation will explain what happened. However, it could be perceived that way. It could be perceived that way. However, what happened there was that 
the host of the party came around to a group of three people and in his hand he had Bloody Marys. He offered them to everybody. The one person that didn't take the Bloody Mary, you know, he told the host, I don't want that, go get me champagne. Right, that's kind of... You could look at it and say, oh, well, he doesn't like, he doesn't like this color person. Or you could say, no, he likes everybody. It's just that he was being gracious, offering everybody something, and you told him in his own house that you didn't want what he had, and then he should go get you something else. You see, there's a difference there. It's misreading the cultural norm. However, it could be construed as being racist or it could be construed as not liking something but it's just not understanding the culture see some while two guys caught that social cue like you wouldn't ask if somebody brings you something you don't ask them to go get you something else you just don't do that right on another scale you know it's the same thing if you go to Japan and you go to a restaurant like the ugly American say you go to Japan and you go to a restaurant and you order some tea and then you you decide that your tea is not sweet enough so you ask the, the waiter or the waitress for some sugar the waiter or waitress will smile and say okay okay yes yes but they will never bring you that sugar you could ask them 25 times every time they come to the table you could ask them for sugar and they will be kind and say yes but they'll never bring you the sugar and it's not because the, the Japanese waiter or waitress is racist. It's because they're trying to save face. Like, you don't drink sugar in your tea there. So they're not going to bring you any sugar because it would be shameful for them to bring you sugar and allow you to make a social faux pas in front of everybody at that restaurant. You see what I'm saying there? And I think a lot of what's happening in our life is that because we are so integrated now that a lot of people don't understand the cultural norms of the other group. And it's really easy to fall back on, oh, they don't like me because of this. Oh, they don't like me because of that. But the real case is you've probably violated some sort of cultural norm or you've made it uncomfortable for that particular race or group of people to bring you into the fold. You know what I mean by that? It doesn't mean one group or one race. It doesn't mean anyone's better than anybody else. It just means that all of us have to do a better job at maybe trying to understand the world from a different cultural point of view. Because it's real, like, communication is so difficult. It's so hard. Especially when you're trying to communicate through different cultural platforms. And that's why we tend to fall into, that's why groups tend to coagulate or tend to you know, find themselves in the same group because everybody in that group knows the norm. Everybody in that group knows the rules. Everybody in that group knows the laws. And when you cross-pollinate, you know, it can be done and 
you can have a lot of good time doing it. Like it's fun to learn about different cultures. It's fun to learn about how different people see things, see the world differently. However, you you have to be willing to, to take some heat. You got to be willing to be the ignorant person. You got to be willing to understand that what you did is wrong. And you can't immediately fall to the position of, well, you're just making fun of me because of this. You just don't like me because I'm from here. But don't get me wrong. There is some of that. However, I think a better understanding, a better way to go through life is to say, okay, what is it that I am missing here? Is it the fact that I am not truly understanding the culture with which I'm trying to interact? Because it probably is. It probably is. You know, they say... That's why they say traveling is the best, one of the best education systems out there. To go and immerse yourself in another culture, to go out and immerse yourself in a different tradition, it forces you to see things in a manner in which you've never seen them before. And a lot of you know this, a lot of you have traveled, a lot of you have I've had the good fortune of being able to go out and and just see the world in a different in a different part of the world. To go out and get to explore the world, you know, literally in a different time. Like if you go to a different time zone, you are in a different time. And I just I think it really gives you an opportunity to enrich yourself and enrich your outlook and enrich your environment. And not only that, but when you're able to better understand the people around you, you're able to better understand yourself, right? You know, you learn so much about your own culture by studying other cultures. And you shouldn't be afraid to talk to people and and ask them what they think about your culture because you'll probably learn a lot. It might sting a little bit, but the trick is to not get upset about it. Like someone's just giving you their point of view of what your culture is. And if you cannot take it personally then you can you know if you can if you can take what some people are aiming as criticism then you can provide an argument to illustrate to them that what they're saying isn't criticism it's a lack of understanding and i think that's the very fundamental flaw that we are having right now i think it's also made more difficult because there's a lot of people out there that don't have an interest in people standing together. You know, the differences between us, you know, be it black or brown or white or Asian or Indian, everybody wants their kid to be better. Everybody wants to go home and be with their family. Everybody 
wants to be in love. Everybody wants to have the basic necessities in life, right? Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We all want these basic foundations and It just seems that there's a concerted effort. Like if you look at what is being pumped out through the airwaves, I know I've talked about this before and I'll just briefly go over it again. The level of propaganda being spewed to us right now is, it's mind bending. It's mind bending. Like what, what problem, the the American, like what, possible problem do we as Americans have with the our friends in the Ukraine? How about the Russian people? We've got no problems with them. All, all the Russian people I know, all the Ukrainian people I know, all the Bulgarian people I know, like they're all awesome people. It's not the people that don't get along. Like we want the same things. But there's a wedge of division being pushed down upon us. And that wedge of division is loaded terms like racism. And it's loaded terms like equality and diversity. Like, you ever think about like, what's the difference between diversity and inequality? Right? If, I, if I took seven red Solo cups and I filled each red Solo cup with a different level of water, would those cups be diverse or would they be unequal? It depends on how you, how you want to spin the story. If you want to say it's a good thing, then you would say, wow, look at this diverse group of red Solo cups. They all have different levels of water. That's diversity. Isn't it beautiful? Or if you wanted to make it bad, you would say, this is unequal. These red Solo cups have different levels of water in them. This is completely inequality. It's not right. You see, neither one of those statements is accurate. Words like that, like inequality or diversity, words like those are tools of division. They're tools aimed at dividing people who don't have enough in their life and people who don't have enough in their life is pretty much all of us. Like we we are allowing the people at the very top to siphon off more from us by dividing us. Does that make sense? I watched a, a very interesting set of lectures by this guy Yuri Bezmenov Yuri Bezmenov and he was a uh, he was a social engineer from Soviet Russia and as we talk about social engineering you know there's a there's a couple books that you may want to check out and uh, Robert Caldini he ran Hillary's campaign he wrote a book called Persuasion, and he wrote a book called Influence. Cass Sunstein wrote a book called Nudge. 
I think he wrote it with Richard Thaler. Richard Thaler also has a, a few sets of books out. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> excuse me. They're both really good social engineers. You know, they, they speak of getting people to make decisions by setting up the environment that makes the outcome likely. <clears throat> Excuse me. For instance, in the book Nudge, um, Cass Sunstein talks about helping children make better decisions at lunchtime in schools by placing the junk food at the very end of the buffet line or at the very end of the cafeteria, kind of almost out of sight. So they would have like the salad and they would have all like the healthier foods up front and then they would have, you know, right before checkout, they would kind of hide the junk food towards the back so the kids would see it last if they saw it at all. <clears throat> and that's an actually, that's a pretty good maneuver for trying to get people to eat healthier. The problem is when we start using those social engineering instruments in order to fundamentally change the way people think about their life, their relationships, their family, their country, their ideals and their values. I was thinking today about If you look at TV as a form of social engineering, you know, my, I have a young daughter and like the stuff that comes out of the radio, sometimes it makes me cringe. And you know, some of the stuff on TV, like I, I don't watch it, but I know it's there. I, I occasionally see clips or hear clips about like Kylie Jenner and stuff. And you know, one thing you can do if you have a daughter or you have a small child and you, you see like whether it's the housewives or whether it's, you know, some sort of ridiculous on TV or if it's Kylie Jenner, what, you know, what I'll do is I'll, I'll, my, I'll show my daughter and be like, oh my gosh, look at this. And she'll see this, what appears to be a, a pretty young girl on TV with like a brand new Mercedes and a huge mansion. And I know you can't see me right now, so I just... I'll put my, my fingernails in my mouth and make like this really scared look and be like, oh my gosh, and just try to put the look of fear on my face. So when my daughter looks at me, she sees this look of just sheer, sheer petrified awe, like, oh no, like totally scared. So she'll look at my face and then she'll look at the TV and then she'll look at my face and she'll look at the TV and she'll be confused because on the TV... All you see is what appears to be a woman who has everything. But then she looks at her dad's face and all you appear to see is just the look of horror and pure cringeworthiness. And so she can't rectify the two. So she's like, what is it, dad? And I go, look. See, you want to make them look back again because you really want them to make that connection. I go, just look at it. Do you see it? And then they'll look back again and they'll start staring at the screen and they'll start looking for imperfections. They'll start looking for reasons why it is horrific. And then eventually the the person will look back at you and be like, what? And you go, can't you see it? No man will ever love that woman. It is so sad. It is so sad. In fact, no man or no one in her family has ever loved her. Just look at her. 
And then the kid will look back at the Kylie Jenner and be like, and she'll start to make this connection of like, okay, that's what a person looks like who's never been loved before. Are you starting to get it? We need to make connections in young people's brains about what it looks like to be unsuccessful. And let's face it, like, I don't care how many billions of dollars the Kardashians have. They are a very poor example of what a woman should be. Imagine growing up in that family. Like, there's no amount of money that can buy, that can buy you your humanity. Like, how many times has that girl just gone under the knife? You know, I tell my daughter, like, look at her. You know how you, and I, so my daughter's looking at her and I'm like, lady, you know how when you go to the doctor, they take needles and like, you don't like that? She's like, yeah. I'm like, this girl right here, she goes to the doctor and she had someone punch her in the face and break her nose. And then she had part of her chest cut out and put like new, like plastic toys in there. And then she, you know what her sister did? And my daughter's like, what? I'm like, her sister, her sister hated her body so bad that she got her butt cut off. My daughter's like, what? She got her butt cut off? I'm like, yeah. Her sister, she hated her body so much, like she cut off her butt and then she added like a, like three other people's butts. And now she has a butt that's like, it's so big, it's like the size of like a gorilla butt. And my daughter's like, gross. I'm like, yeah. Her butt's so big when she poops, it's like the size of a watermelon. She has to have like a special toilet just so she can sit down and poop. My daughter's like, oh my God, that's so gross. I'm like, yeah, I know. Like, why would they do that? And we both kind of laugh a little bit. But I think it's important because there's the social engineering that's going on TV right now. That's an attempt to take our kids and make them products. What you see on TV is an attempt to tokenize and fetishize and make the human being a product. And that is not what we are. We are human beings. And so it's easy to do. You can take what's on TV and instantly use it to show children what's wrong with the world. And it's easy to do because the programming on there right now is atrocious. And it's kind of fun. And I, I hope that all of you will use this example and use it to educate your kids on what the wrong thing to do in life is. Like when we see people like that, you know, we should, we should all just... Uh, maybe we should come up with like a code word or something. Maybe, maybe we can, you know what? Let's go with Chachi. That is Chachi. It's just like the earlier. See what I'm saying? Chachi's everywhere. Chachi is everywhere. When you see Kardashians, just be, oh my gosh, it's so Chachi. When you see a girl that has a huge butt implant, just be like, whoa, Chachi. What are you doing? What are you doing, Chachi? <laughs> I love it. I love it. But social engineering is everywhere and everybody can do it. And all it takes is a little bit of understanding of what the people want you to think. What is the program trying to program you to do? And just do the opposite of that. What is the program trying to tell you to do about culture? What is the program trying to do to influence you of how to act in culture? 
whatever the TV is telling you to do, do the opposite. And you'll probably be on point. Another point that I I always kind of go to is is thinking about you know, especially it doesn't matter if it's another culture or if it's somebody in your workplace or somebody at home or somebody at school. Have you ever seen somebody that just kind of rubs you the wrong way? And you can't, at first you can't quite nail it down. You're like, I don't, I just, I don't know what it is. Like something about that person. Maybe they're arrogant or maybe they're weak or maybe they're, they're kind of chachi. You know what I mean? Maybe there's, but there's something about them and you don't know what it is. Like that's happened to me before. And I, it took me a while to figure this out. And that's why I want to share it with you. When you see people and you see something in them that you don't like, that quality in them that you do not like is a quality in yourself that you don't like. So when you see somebody that bothers you, when you see somebody that is doing something that irks you, try to understand what it is because that's something you need to change in yourself. That's a, that's a way of seeing yourself in other people. And in fact, you can only see yourself in other people. And that goes for good things too. When you see something good in people, it's something that you have in yourself. When you see something in other people that you want to emulate or imitate or become more like, when you see a quality in somebody else, it's because you also have that spark inside yourself. And that feeling of wanting to be like that person is the part of you that's like that person wanting to grow. And you should nurture that. Right? It's like, I think that's Kant's first critique. We can know nothing about the world a priori. But trust me on the culture. Trust me on the social engineering. It's happening at an incredible pace right now. A final point on social engineering is that as we see this whole chaotic maelstrom of events happening, we are really divided right now, right? I think everybody can agree. It's very difficult, whether it's organic or whether it's being manipulated, it's very difficult for people to come together. There's the divide between black and white and brown and old and young and men and women. There's division everywhere. Let me get some water. Do you know what, what this is going to be scary. Do you know what brings us all together? I'm sure you guys know. The only way to rapidly bring us all together in a short amount of time. Can you guys think of the last time America was standing arm in arm and waving flags and talking about how great our country was? You remember when that was? 9-11. 9-11. Look, we, none of us know what happened that day. But we all know the attitude of the country after it happened. Right? A level of patriotism that was fever pitch. It was the antithesis of what it is today. 
the reason that's important, the reason that's scary is that if indeed there's multiple factions, if, if we are indeed in a war right now, which you could make that case for, we're being softened up economically, there could be some sort of a bioweapon out, you know, we are being pushed into this sort of civil war, you know, we are being heavily propagandized. These are all symptoms of, of being invaded. This is all symptoms of war. These are all symptoms of, of being at war. So the re- if indeed we are at war, one strategy for people would be to galvanize the American people. And the only way to galvanize the American people would, f- would be for there to be some sort of tragic event like 9-11. Some sort of terrorist event, some sort of extreme event, and that would galvanize America. That would turn us around in a heartbeat. And I don't think the powers that be don't, I mean, they don't think that they don't know that. Don't think that they're not willing to pull that switch in order to save the country or pull that switch in order to send us to war. In fact, that's what I hope I I'm hopeful that doesn't happen, but it seems to me that that option is on the table for the, the, you know, call it whatever you want for the, you know, for, I, I don't know what group or, or who would do that. And I don't want to make any accusations, but it would not be unheard of for there to be some sort of event like that. And I think everybody should be watching out for that. The only way to galvanize and turn this around would be for there to have some sort of a road to Damascus moment where everybody just stops and the whole attitude shifts. And that's the only way I know of to fundamentally, radically change the consciousness of the nation in a short time. And that's scary to me. It's scary to me. I, I love you guys, all my brothers and sisters throughout the world. I love you guys. And I want all of our kids to have an unfair advantage. I want all of our kids to have a better opportunity than we had. So for Tuesday, I want you to know, I love you. And, uh, oh, I got, I got a joke for you. What's the difference between a girls track team and a tribe of pygmies? One of them is a group of cunning little runts. I love you guys. Aloha. Thank you for listening. I will talk to you soon. Giddy, giddy, giddy. Aloha, everyone. Thanks for taking a moment to hang out with me in the True Life Podcast. I truly appreciate it. If you're taking some time to listen to this, whether it's your first podcast with me or you've been with me the whole way, I truly want to say thank you from the bottom of my heart. Additionally, I would like to try to inspire everyone. The world is a crazy place. And if you listen to your heart and you take some chances, I really think the world will unfold in front of you in ways you can't imagine. I've been doing the podcast for about five years Last year, I decided to take the plunge. Well, circumstances dictated that I took the plunge, and I did. I've begun working on the podcast full-time for almost a year now, and it's been so rewarding to me that 
I just want to try and inspire other people. If you have a dream, if you have a vision, follow the voice in your heart. Listen to the song on the wind and embrace the challenge. I think you're strong enough, you're smart enough, and you're good enough to make your dreams come true. But you have to believe in them. And I truly believe wholeheartedly that if you take a chance, a real chance on what is possible, then your dreams will unfold in front of you. Uncertainty can be a monster. It can be something that we run away from. But much like fear, if you stand in front of it, it's not that big of a problem. I know everyone listening to this has a dream and a vision, and I hope you all conquer it. And I want you to know it's possible. Take baby steps and move towards it, and you will get closer to it. Your relationships will be better. Your life will be better. And you know what? You deserve it. You're an amazing person. If you get a moment, go down to the show notes. If you can, support the show. Thank you so much for being here. Now let's get to it.